I didn't realize I'd be serving with Deacon Nick tonight. I'm privileged to do so. But I want to say something about what sometimes guys experience just on the eve of their ordination, so their deacon year. This in no way, shape, or form applies to Deacon Nick. So he is beyond that. But I'm actually talking more about my class. But it's not unusual. You can imagine if you were finishing medical school or law school, or you start thinking about, well, what will it look like for me, you know, when I'm out doing that? And in Advent, oftentimes you start thinking, well, what would my first Advent as a priest look like? And I had a classmate. He wasn't for the Archdiocese of Chicago, for another diocese. And he, you know, had these ideas about what might look different for him when he was a priest in a parish, his first assignment in Advent. And so he was assigned to a parish and it had a beautiful crucifix kind of suspended right over the altar. So Advent was rolling around. This was his first Advent as a priest and small, not like St. Joe's, not a huge staff. And so the associate did a lot of the things directly. And the pastor, you know, it's Advent. Advent wreath is up in the attic. Make sure you get it down and, you know, set everything up. So this guy had thoughts. And so when everyone walked in for the first Mass of Advent, there was indeed an Advent wreath but where the four candles were, basically, were on the four points of the crucifix. One on either hand of Jesus, one at his head, and one at his feet. Well, needless to say, by Monday morning, the evergreen was back. It didn't go over so well, but I almost wish it had. Because if you stop and think about it for a minute, with the best of intentions, he was getting to the heart of what it's so easy to lose sight of. And that's that if we want to celebrate what Advent is really about, the fact that God actually cared and bothered to become who we are, as soon as you sign on to becoming human, you're also signing on to leaving this life. If he's truly going to become human, then the time will come when he truly will die. Not faking it, not pretending, lots of other mythologies talk about their gods in that way. And I'm not saying this to be a Christmas downer. I'm simply saying it to acknowledge the fact that grace, and we've been talking a lot about grace all throughout Advent. It's kind of the theme that St. Joe's took on. But grace is transformative. And the transformation that it most affects is that it disorients us at some point in our lives. God doesn't become human just to sort of be our cheerleader and, you know, pat us on the back and say, hey, everything's looking great. I just wanted to give you a pep talk. The transformation of God wading into our messiness and complexity and sinfulness at times is precisely to acknowledge that if something is going to change, it's going to have to look different. And there's a lot inside of us that says, I don't want it to look different. I don't want to go wherever it is you may be asking me to go. And if the cross means anything, it's that that primal fear we often feel in the face of radical change that maybe God is calling us to, that self-sacrificial love is calling us to, that that's not what defines us ultimately, that that's not game over, lights out, as you've heard me say so many times, that the cross is not a brick wall, but it's a threshold. And it's easy to lose sight of that, maybe, as we think about the beauty of Christmas morning. 
But that's day one, that second one of a journey that's ultimately going to lead to the cross. And then, of course, we know beyond that to something way more glorious even than Christmas morning. But you can't leapfrog over that moment. The only way to the resurrection from Christmas morning is through the cross. And my friend, in his radical, earth-shattering way, was trying to capture that sense. If you're going to look at the Advent wreath, even the happy rose candle, you're going to have to look at it and see the cross right there in the background. Because ultimately, you'll look through that cross and you'll see the Easter lilies and, and all the rest of it. And so grace has its moment of disorientation, if I can put it that way. Now think about what that looks like, right? That This isn't just some vague abstraction. And you see that so powerfully in Matthew's version. I like to call it Matthew's Annunciation. Matthew doesn't give us Mary and Gabriel, the angel. Don't worry, they're all there. They're just not in his gospel. Matthew focuses on Joseph, right? On Joseph. So talk about disorienting grace. Joseph was a righteous man. Absolutely, we hold him up as a paragon of righteousness. Joseph, a good man, a righteous man, the model for maybe all Christian husbands. And how was his righteousness acknowledged? If we had met Joseph just before, you know, just a little bit before the dream that we're told about in Matthew's God, how would his righteousness have been measured? Well, it would have been measured because he decided to divorce the mother of our Lord. And I don't say that to be a wise guy. That's right in the gospel. Because Joseph was a righteous man, he decided to divorce Mary quietly. It's not a bad thing in that world, in that world before everything changed. That was a measure of Joseph's righteousness. And if you're scandalized by a statement like, he decided to divorce the mother of our Lord, then all that does is it highlights the disorientation that the grace that Advent celebrates is ultimately about. That righteousness itself takes on a whole new meaning. And for us, because it's so familiar, maybe we don't feel that. And then Mary and Joseph having to sort all this out. Talk about disorientation. So they know it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, would you want to have to explain that to your in-laws if it had never happened before? And how are we going to sort this out? And what will it mean for us? And what will the future look like? And that's just leading up to the birth of Jesus. Then everything else that comes afterwards marching inexorably towards the cross, the greatest disorientation of all. And then eventually there's a whole new reality, right? We've overused that phrase, but it applies in this sense. But it begins in this Advent time. It begins with the Advent wreath. So don't just look at its beauty without letting your eyeballs at least drift a little bit towards the cross. We'll go through all of that in Lent, which is maybe much more focused on changing of life and disorientation. But it's here now at the beginning as well, and it's right there in the Gospels as plain as day. And so maybe it's a good invitation as a little spiritual exercise just for us to say, what is disorienting in our life right now? And maybe everything for you is just, it fits in place and nothing is out of place whatsoever. 
As I like to say, send us a postcard because we all want to know what heaven looks like. But there's probably something that isn't quite there. Maybe there's a fear or a worry or an uncertainty or a confusion. Or a, God, okay, I know you're there, but how does all this come together? And maybe for some of us in a group this size, maybe for some of us there's a real struggle. Lord, why are you letting me down? Lord, where are you? Don't you care? How is this possible? And if that's not you, maybe you know someone like that. And maybe this is the Advent where God is asking you to accompany that person into the disorienting grace. Grace is amazing. It saved a wretch like me. Beautiful hymn. But it can also be very unsettling. And it can plunge right into the heart of our everydayness where we're familiar with things, where the script is followed, or at least we want it to be followed. Joseph and Mary certainly had a script for what their betrothal, what their marriage, what that would all look like. And suddenly everything was given a new context. And that's the gift of grace. And there can be something inside of us that says, well, if that's the gift of grace, then just keep it. Lord, I'm doing fine without it. So to be able to stay there and be patient in the face of fear or worry, that's no small thing. But that's what we do for each other, right? That's what it looks like to be the body of Christ. That's why we don't just sort of march in here and, well, what mass are you going to this weekend? Oh, maybe I'll go to this one, maybe I'll go to that one. To trust that grace and providence drew all of us here tonight for whatever reason. We all will not all be together in this exact way again. This is a unique moment in grace for whatever reason. And that's what a parish does for each other. Maybe we're just praying for faces we don't know. But there are plenty of people in our lives we do know much more closely. And maybe you're being asked to accompany them in disorienting grace. Because what Joseph does at the end, you know, what Joseph does at the end, download that, put it on your phone. If you're a Neanderthal, write it out, stick it in your wallet. But it's the most powerful phrase, I think, one of the most powerful phrases in all of the New Testament. Joseph took Mary into his home. That's how that gospel scene ends. Whatever questions Joseph might have had, whatever confusion, whatever uncertainty, however disoriented his life might have been through this eruption of grace, he takes Mary, who's the very embodiment of that uncertainty the very embodiment of what used to be the sign of his righteousness, to divorce her quietly. And now he's saying, come into my home. I want to take you here most intimately. I want to sit with this. I want you to accompany me and I'll accompany you. So what does it look like for you very concretely? What's that uncertainty? Maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it's facing a memory or a situation that would be so easy just to suppress or ignore or pretend it isn't there? What does it look like to take it into your home, to sit with it, to share it, to talk about it? Maybe bring it to the sacraments, reconciliation, Eucharist, but also bring it to a real live human being in your life. That's what Joseph did. He didn't just quietly contemplate the grace he looked it in the eye, he embraced her, and he took her into his home. So as we end this series about grace, grace and truth, we end on a challenging note. It's not all tied up in a Christmas bow, 
but it is good news. It will disorient your life at some point in time. It will leave you wondering, Lord, what are you possibly up to here? And if we can just support each other and say, no, take it, don't push it away. Don't shut the door in its face. Take it deep into your home. Then when we show up a week from now, we won't just be looking at pretty flowers and beautiful music, but we'll know what it means to begin a journey. Journey is gonna lead us to the cross, there's no shortcut. And I'll call my old classmate up and I'll tell him he's been vindicated after 22 years. So come through for him. <laughs>